Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The weariest and most loathed worldly life that age, ache, penury, and imprisonment can lay on nature is a paradise to what we fear of death. Alas, alas. Sweet sister, let me live. Hello and welcome to The Plays The Thing, your podcast for all things Shakespeare. My name is Tim McIntosh. I am the host. And you just heard from Claudio, brother to Isabella, who is just learning in this act that he is going to be put to death. The weariest and most loathed worldly life that age, ache, penury, and imprisonment can lay on nature is a paradise to what we fear of death. I welcome back to the show, Galen Marie Hurd. I'm so glad that you came back, Galen. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, Galen is my wife. And so we've been starting each of these podcasts with a little bit of parenting corner. Fast forward about 60 or 90 seconds. If you don't want to hear about our latest, um, joys and travails as a parent of a nine month old named Arden Ann. Arden was named in part, at least after the forest of Arden from the play, as you like it. Galen, what's going on with our baby? Let's talk about it. Let's chop it up. Let's chop it up. What's going on? She's so she's, cute. She's so cute. The only feature that we could change anything is her ability to sleep at night is not really well developed. We had two good nights, Sunday night and Monday night. But last night we were kind of back to normal, waking up at the worst possible, the very weest hours in the morning. Yeah. How you doing? And it's, it's interesting. Like... When you're you're beaten down, like you can yeah. you can take a bad night so much easier than when your hopes start to grow. A couple of good nights like really make the bad nights hard. So I might Galen, do you remember the last thing up in the middle of the night just to ride it out? Do you know the last thing that escaped from Pandora's box when all of the ills uh, of the world? Do you remember? Oh. 
hope was the last thing to escape. It's a little bit of a warning sign. Yeah, when your hopes are raised, oh my gosh, maybe this is a trend. Maybe she's going to start sleeping through the night. And then she reverts to what we, what has been normal for us, which is like up at 11, up at 2 a.m., up again at 5 a.m. You're like, oh, we had hopes and the hope makes it hurt even worse. That's, I did not interpret that story that way. I always thought hope was like to make up for all the evils that um, escaped the box, but hope was maybe you're the you're the you're the like optimist, and I'm the pessimist in our relationship. Yeah. Maybe hope maybe that's what's sucks. going on. Hope sucks. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the last shape, thing huh? to escape the like all of the evils <laughs> like of the, the world. Worst of them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, oh. Speaking of hope, oh, yeah. we have hope. I think at the beginning of this act that Claudio is going to handle this news like a soldier. Mm, you know? Hope. You were not optimistic. Okay, no, no, no. recap. Galen has not seen, she is watching act by act by act. She has not seen the end of the play. And so at the end of act two, her foresight said, okay, Claudio is not going to take the news. Let me back. Let's back way up. Let's just do a recap of the play. Beginning of the play, Angelo is put in charge of Vienna by the Duke. And the Duke wants him to enforce the laws that are actually on the books. And a lot of these laws have to do with sexual mores. So one of the first things that Angelo does to enforce the laws of the land is to arrest, imprison, and sentence to death Claudio. Claudio... Um, has impregnated his fiancée. They were scheduled to be married, but now they're not going to be married. Claudio is going to be put to death. Um, Lucio, friend of Claudio, hears about this, goes to brother of Claudio, Isabella, a nun, a day away from taking her orders in which she will be locked into the convent by choice the rest of her life. She leaves the convent to make an argument against Angelo. She meets Angelo in his chambers, have mercy on my brother, have mercy. And Angelo's like, sorry, you got to have, sorry, this is the law. I'm just the voice of the law. I'm not going to have the law treated like a scarecrow that nobody really respects. But then when Angelo leaves, excuse me, when when, uh, Isabella leaves the room, he kind of falls for her, doesn't kind of. Angelo falls for Isabella. Pretty hard. When Pretty hard. When she comes back, he's like, listen, there's a deal that can save your brother. I don't know that you're going to go for it, but I wish you would. If you sleep with me, I'll let your brother off the hook. You kind of like, your sin will kind of be a virtue that kind of covers for him, that absolves him for his wrongdoing. Isabella is entering the convent. Chastity is extremely high on her list of virtues, it's a threat not just to her her honor, it's a threat to her very soul. That's how she understands it. Yeah. And at the beginning of this act, she goes to her brother Claudio in prison and she's like, brother, I'm sorry, but you've got to die. And he's like, okay, I'll face it like a man. And then she's like, you know, Angelo did give us an out, but you know, you would never accept it. You would never tolerate it in a hundred years. If I slept with him, he'd let you live. And Claudia's like, yep, never. I'll never. Impossible. You'll not do that thing. But then there's a turn. And the turn, I think, is where we should camp 
on today's episode, Galen, um, because it's a, it's a it's a great turn. It's a fascinating turn, and I think the real meat of this act, and in some ways, real revelation of our other two main characters, Isabella and Claudio. There's kind of revelatory moments, and we see what they're made of. So. What do we find out about Claudio early in the act when he receives the news from Isabella? Well, he's going to play the soldier, right? Absolutely. I, and I just want to back up and say, you were saying at the end of act two, I predicted, because I think Shakespeare gives us a little hint, Isabella yes. says, my brother will never go for this. Right. He will stand right. behind me a hundred percent. And that confidence, um, it, pride goeth before the fall. Is that yeah. the phrase? Like, ooh, she is real sure that in the face right. of death, his values will just hold just as strong as hers, um, even though he's the one facing his death and not her. Um, and so, but as you saw, yeah, he, he absolutely he didn't his follow first through. instinct. His first yep, instinct yep. is absolutely you can't do that. May it and never I think, be. Yeah, and I think that speaks to what he what he wants, what he values, who he holds himself to be, what he wants for her. I think all that is true. Um, yeah. And I love that Shakespeare makes this turn in him because at the end of Act 2, you're kind of wondering, like, is he going to ask her to do this deplorable thing? Or is he going to, you know, be steadfast? And he he ends up doing both because this turn that you're talking about is where he, he starts contemplating death. And as he's contemplating yeah. death, he like spirals into fear. He spirals. And Galen, he I love this. It, yeah, the more he talks this. about it, the worse, the yeah. worse it gets in his imagination. Absolutely yeah. right. Growing. Right. And, and there's, he kind of goes through a roster of things of kind of like what the punishment of afterlife might be. Yeah. It could be um, like th thrilling regions of thick ribbed ice. Like it could be like being frozen yeah. all the time. It could be being thrown about in restless winds. So I actually, I, I want to play this because it's such a beautiful speech. And I think there's a there's a kind of famous corollary to this speech in another of Shakespeare's plays, Hamlet. But mm. before we get there, let's listen to Claudio and Isabella when Claudio begins to have second thoughts about his death. I but to die and go we know not where. To lie in cold obstruction and to rot. This sensible warm motion to become a needed clod and the delighted spirit to bathe in fiery floods or to reside in thrilling region of thick ripped ice. To be imprisoned in the viewless winds and blown with restless violence round about the pendant world or to be worse than worse of those that lawless and incertain thought imagine howling to too horrible. The weariest and most loathed worldly life that age, ache, 
penury and imprisonment can lay on nature is a paradise to what we fear of death. Alas, alas. Sweet sister, let me live. What sin you do to save a brother's life, nature dispenses with the deed so far that it becomes a virtue. Oh, you beast! Oh, faithless coward! Oh, dishonest wretch! Will thou be made a man out of my vice? That was Claudio imagining what lies after death, and he goes through this catalog of terrible, terrible punishments. This sensible, warm motion to become a kneaded clod, I think that's a reference to his heart. Mm. The sensible, warm motion to become a kneaded clod. Oh, oh gosh, yeah. Like it just, it goes to, it becomes dirt. Yeah. And the delighted spirits to bathe in fiery floods or to reside in thrilling regions of thick ribbed ice. So he, he goes through these horrible things that he imagines might await him after death. And then here it comes, sweet sister, let me live. What sin you do to save a brother's life, nature dispenses with the deed so far that it becomes a virtue. It's not so bad. <laughs> That's right. It's right. He sounds a little bit like, like Angelo. Okay. We'll get to Isabella's reaction in a second. Um, but I want to, there's an analog here or a, a, another very famous passage. It's the most famous passage in Shakespeare. And there's a similar, at the heart of it, there's a similar worry about what happens after death. Mm-hmm. The to be or not to be mm-hmm. speech in Hamlet, a lot of it yeah. is filled with this worrying about like what happens after death. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read a little bit of it because it's the most famous speech and because it's so beautiful. The heartache and thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to, tis a consummation devoutly to be wished to die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream. Ah, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil. So what dreams may come after we have died that must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long a life for who would bear, and here's a list of things, we bear all of these things out of fear of death. Mm-hmm. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that the patient merit of the unworthy takes when he himself might his quietest make with a bare bodkin. So all of this, like all of these terrible things that we endure, the whips and scores of time, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, we, we endure these things rather than take our own life because we're scared of what lies on the other side. I just think it's a, it shows up on more than just these two accounts in Shakespeare's Mm. um, world. Um, And of course it shows up here in a really powerful way. Yeah. Galen, when you hear this from Claudio, sympathy, a loss of respect. Oh, I have so much sympathy. You do. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is the scene that you were talking about where 
this powerful monologue that you yeah. did your first. Yeah, it was. This was the one. Yeah. It's, I always think it's, I feel like when you get to see someone contemplating death, mm. everyone, maybe everyone doesn't, but I think maybe everyone should like lean in close and, and mm. try to learn whatever you can because it's, because it's something we avoid. Yeah. It's an inevitability for all of us. Yeah. And because of the unknown, I um, have a mentor who says um, that the unknown is one of the primary threats to the brain. When we uh. don't know what's coming, we our brains will just make up wild stories about all the terrible things that it could be. Um, and just alarm bells go off. Yeah. And death is the ultimate unknown. The ultimate unknown. And so... Yeah, watching him spiral a little bit, it makes so much sense to me. And it's almost like you're watching someone in the grief process, there's like shock at first, um, or it's not called shock. What is it called? Disbelief or... Yeah, um, yeah. And that's sort of where he starts. He's like, yeah. no, absolutely. You can't give up your virginity, your... Um, you can't do that for me. Right. Um, and then as reality sets in, he's not thinking in such, maybe he's still thinking in black and white terms. She's just, they switch for him, but he's seeing more of, of the gray, like, well, wait a minute. I, and, and I do lose a little bit of respect for him, but I think yeah. in a very human way, he, had he sort of stuck to his guns no matter what, I would think he was more like Angelo. Like just mm. virtue above all things. I will not bend. I will not break. And of course, Angelo did did break pretty easily yeah. um, from his, his virtues. I, when, when I think about um, this being my first deep exposure to Shakespeare. Of course, I'd seen Hamlet and Macbeth and Othello, and I love these plays. But when I memorized and performed this, the thing that struck me was, oh my goodness, this was written 400 years ago, but this feels like, this feels so immediate. Mm -hmm. This is, this is, I can absolutely imagine spiraling just like Claudio facing this decision. Yes, and this is, I think, what you can tell me, you're the Shakespeare expert, but what Shakespeare does so well, he doesn't paint characters. Any good character description is not what people should be. It's what they are. It's how they yeah. really respond to life, not how yeah. they hope they will respond to life. He starts with right. how he hopes he will respond. And then his real response comes later. Mm -hmm. Another real response comes later where he feels awful about it. Um, yeah. And her response yeah. We haven't quite gotten there yet, but I think her response is just as sort of human. She's, you know, a perfectly virtuous, understanding, empathetic, nun-like character might understand where he's coming from, hold her, you know, hold her decision, but be like totally forgiving of him. But she's livid. Oh, she lets him have it. Let me read the words. So he says... The sin you do to save a brother's life, nature will get rid of the deed. Nature dispenses with the deed so far that it becomes a virtue. Isabella, there's no, there's no, 
listen, Claudio, I understand <laughs> you're having a hard moment. She has like not a moment of sympathy. Oh, you beast, you faithful coward, dishonest wretch. Wilt thou be made a man out of my vice? Oof. Yeah. Right? Like you're going to have me sleep with Angelo and thus preserve your life. Wilt thou be a man made out of my vice? Is it not a kind of incest to take life from thy own sister's shame? What should I think? Heaven shield my mother played my father fair for such a warped slip of wilderness ne'er issued from his blood. Take my defiance, die, perish. And it gets even worse. <laughs> Might but my bending down reprieve thee from thy fate. Like if all I had to do was bend down and that would reprieve you, it should, your death should proceed. You should I'll die. pray a thousand prayers for your death, no word to save thee. Oh. I mean, Ooh. if you just hear the words, it's like, oh my gosh, Isabella, what is going on? This is it's ruthless. It's ruthless. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> it's rough. But I, okay, I, I want to take us into when the play was written 400 years ago, roughly 1600. Mm -hmm. There is something, I, I, I think it's so important to remember that Isabella is taking on an oath. Mm -hmm. And she is saying that my value is to be uniquely set apart for God's service. And the kind of emblematic way that I give myself to God is I will never give myself to a man. I will practice chastity until the day I die, right? And so her response, it seems to me, is Claudio, don't you know who I am? And you're willing to throw this away so that I, you're willing for me to throw this away in this heinous act with this heinous man so you can live. Like your lack of honor is, is tainting me. It's destroying any sort of honor that I would have if you actually had me go through with this. Okay. I think that's like the background that can help make sense of Isabella's really strong reaction. Also, does that, well, does that help also, give you any sympathy with her? No, no, I, I, res I respect her. I mean, I, yeah. I, like I said, I think both responses are very understandable. She's furious that that, that he would turn so quickly. He defends her yeah. right out the gate and then, and then turns. I think it's also important to keep in mind that her um, her faith is, like you said, the most important thing to her. So yeah. death to her doesn't seem like the worst outcome. No big deal. A, yeah. A really large and substantial sin is probably a much bigger deal to her than, yes. than death. And yes. her first, you know, you beast, oh, faithless coward. Yes. Um, she, you know, rails at him for not being faithful that yeah and just going for it but i do want to point out she's not the one facing death <laughs> right um 
So it's no, her brother yeah. who is right. Yeah, I I think it's harsh, but it's it's her honest it's her honest reaction. Uh, yeah, it's powerful. It's at the very least powerful. I'd love to act it. That would be fun. Oh, Galen, it's so much fun to act. And I get. I want to just pause and just say this is one of the reasons that I like this play so much, and it's one of the reasons why I respect Shakespeare so much is playwriting drama, like even like cinematic drama, what really makes compelling theater and compelling um, movies is a clash of opposing values. Mm. It's in, in movies that don't have that and plays that don't have that, they, we tend to get bored of them pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But the things that we like are when two opposing for- forces that have antithetical values are battling in some way for supremacy and they both can't, at least on the surface, be content with each other's existence. Yeah. There's no easy compromise. There's no easy compromise. Mm. That's right. And Shakespeare's a master at it. Mm. He's a a master at setting up these characters that have extremely strong values that they hold really well. They're also human. Mm-hmm. And putting them in opposition with people of opposite values, and it needs to be settled on the battlefield or in the court of law. I mean, this is kind of a court of law. Um, Isabella mm-hmm. and Angelo, in a way, is, is kind of a court of law. Yeah. Or in like the realm of love. So often it's like, you know, these two characters who like absolutely cannot stand each other, but in the arena of love, they somehow find a way. Mm hmm. You were going to say something. Well, what you were saying makes me think that so far, my favorite moment is watching Angelo just crushed by, it's like the two opposing values are within him. The two opposing values that you're describing. When he's crushed by, um, by realizing he's lusting after Isabella. Yeah. He's got this rigidity and this moral sort of rightness, uh, righteousness and, and then his own feeling that breaks through that. I love watching that. I love it too. I love it too. What, what I really appreciate, I don't want this to be like a, a like glam fest for Shakespeare, but some of the best moments in Shakespeare are monologues where someone is wrestling inside themselves with these opposing values. This is an example. Angel, I mean, Angelo's... Mm-hmm kind of reckoning with his own desire for Isabella is one of those moments. He cannot both justify his strict approach to the law and his desire for Isabella. He cannot have both those things at the same time. He has to reckon them out, you know? Yeah. And another example, Macbeth, he knows if he kills the king, the king is sleeping under his gates. And if he kills the king he will become king as prophesied. Mm -hmm. But then during this monologue that I'm thinking of in act two of Macbeth, Macbeth kind of says to himself, well, is he a good king? Oh my gosh, he's a great king. Mm -hmm. Like he's just, he's fair. He's a mighty warrior. He's everything we want in a king. And then he kind of comes on the other side of the monologue, does Macbeth and he says, what is it that's driving me to kill the king? Vaulting ambition. 
It's just my own ambition. And you think for a moment, oh, way to go, Macbeth. You kind of worked it out. Okay, you worked it out okay. and you ended up in the right place. This is the conclusion. Right. And then Lady Macbeth comes out and she's like, I thought you were a man. Right. You're not a man, you know? Oh. And so, and then he turns around. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I, I think this is just what makes Shakespeare really, really special. That internal twisting and reasoning and poetic speech and like wrestling with the very deepest parts of ourselves. He puts it up in front of the audience through the most beautiful poetic speech that we have in our language. And we get to watch it and we get to kind of like reason through it ourselves. I just think it's, it's why I do this podcast really. Yeah. yeah. Um, say, can we talk about the Duke? I would love to talk about the Duke. So yeah, can we, let's set up the Duke a little bit. In act one, he puts Angelo in charge, disappears, goes into hiding. He's disguised as a friar. He shows up in the jail. He interviews Juliet, the pregnant fiance to Claudio. Hey, Julie, I'm sorry. Claudio's going to die. But he's really doing a lot of what sounds like kind of some research or he just wants to see what's going on in his city now that he's stepped away from it. Yeah. There's a big twist in Act Three, isn't there? Yes. From he knows the Duke. more than we knew. He knows he more. And we find out through a conversation with Lucio, friend to Claudia, that Angelo had a woman. And was promised to this woman, or he had promised himself to this woman. Isn't it a conversation between the Duke and Isabella? It is. It's, sorry, it is a conversation between the Duke and Isabella, not Lucio. Lucio's conversation with the Duke comes a little bit later, and it's more humorous. <laughs> yeah. And so there's this other woman who Angelo, basically, he didn't jilt her at the altar, but he left her. Mm-hmm. And she is... She has been done really wrong. Yeah, he by left him. her because her father died at sea. So her dowry uh-huh. evaporated uh-huh. in a split yeah. second. And without getting her dowry, he was no longer interested in marrying her. Okay. I've got to take us back now. You're just doing this act by act. I've got to take us back to one of the very first questions that I asked you, which was. Do you think the Duke knows something? Like, what is his plan here? Like, why would he just, like, put this guy in charge? And you, well, do you remember what you said? I thought he was doing it in earnest. Yeah. Like, I did not think he had any plan, ulterior motive here. thought he was just like, you're the guy, bring us all back to order. I now hear these lines, and I wonder if you hear them differently. There was a, it was the very first audio we played in the first act. Hmm. Angelo reports to the Duke, Angelo, always obedient to your grace's will, I come to know your pleasure. And the Duke says, Angelo, there's a kind of character in thy life that to the observer doth thy history fully unfold. Hmm. Don't we? I look back on those lines now. Yeah. And the, saying that the Duke knew about this other woman and that Angelo left this woman when he found out that her dowry wasn't going to show up. Yeah. And 
there's some kind of damnation in, Mm -hmm. there's a kind of character in thy life that the observer doth thy history fully unfold. Yeah. So, Galen, the Duke, is, is, how are you thinking about the Duke now? Is he kind of a mastermind? My goodness. Well, I don't know what his master plan is, um, but I'm annoyed with him. I've been annoyed with him this whole time. <laughs> are you are you less annoyed now? Or are no, you more annoyed I'm now? More annoyed. Because, oh, why? Why? Because he he's throwing all of these lives into chaos, uh, just to affect some kind of convoluted plan. Uh-huh. I just listened to a podcast interviewing the guy who, um, I didn't know about this, who kidnapped Frank Sinatra Jr. when he was Oh, I don't know about this. A teenager. He was like, he had this elaborate plan about how he was going to kidnap him for ransom and, um, and how it was all going to benefit the family, ultimately. He was going to pay back the money eventually, and it was going to benefit everybody. Wait, so, it was going to benefit the Sinatra family yeah, or his yeah. family? He was, this, okay. He was using lots of substances and pretty out of his mind. Uh-huh. But it was a very okay. well-developed, clear plan. And he was like, and it was super convoluted, And but he was like, this is going to benefit everyone. Like, he thought he had yeah. God's permission to do this. There's some similarities here. Duke is like, I'm going to throw everyone's life in ca- into chaos but yeah. I have a plan. Like somehow he seems to uh-huh. have a sense of how he's going to, in a really convoluted way, make it all come together. And I just. Yes. Maybe it will. Uh-huh. Chaos has ensued. Um, so, yes. the. Do you want to tell what his plan is? His plan is to basically bring this woman back into the scene. Long story short. And confront Angelo with her. Is there is there more to tell, Galen? Well, he's going to have Isabella agree to sleep with Angelo, but yeah, say that it that's has right. To be that's right. Yes, yes, dark, yes. Right. It has yes. to be under cover of dark, and it'll be tonight. And um, and I guess she is going to go, but then he's going to have, or maybe he's not. Maybe she's not going to go, and Mariana is it will go in her place. Yeah. And. They're going to trick Angelo into essentially committing the same sin that he's sentenced Claudio to death for. Poetically speaking, it is like it almost perfectly matches the definition of poetic justice, right? If he does Mm -hmm. sleep with his Mm -hmm. jilted lover, committing the same sin that Claudio did, or or thinking that he's committing the same sin that Claudio did, and he's supposed to be the exact the executor of the law. It's perfect. It's mm-hmm. perfect. There are times, Galen, in Shakespeare that I'm kind of like, okay, bro, you want me to believe that Angelo is going to think he's sleeping with Isabella, but he's actually going to sleep with this other woman. And I'm, am I not supposed to get hung up on the, that's a, that's a hard thing to like creatively imagine with you. Does that bother you? It, I think the whole thing seems uh, preposterous in a kind of way. Like, like that Isabella is going to be like, oh, yeah, good plan. Okay. Cool plan, bro. <laughs> this really makes it all come together. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I understand that she's like, she wants to save her, her brother's life, which as right. bad as she is, she still wants to save her brother's life. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously she doesn't want to dishonor herself. And she wants to, I mean, I'm sure she'd love to set Angelo up to um, get a piece of what's coming to him. I don't know. Somehow I don't have a problem with the idea that he won't, in the dark, with this woman he barely knows. Yeah. That he, you know, if they're roughly the same build, I don't know. The idea that he would not recognize his own fiance might be the more difficult part to grasp, to agree. Right. To. That's the one. That's the one that's I'm the like. Part you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she can't speak at all. Her voice yeah. will be pretty recognizable to him. I don't know. Yeah, it's this is where I was like, okay, it's it's theater. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure that when they bring this jilted lover onto the stage, she's going to have the same color hair as Isabella. She's going to be of similar build to Isabella. Like, that's what you would need to make this remotely plausible. And I think it just needs to be remotely plausible because the power, the power, <laughs> the power of the poetic justice is really compelling. Like, I'm like, I listen to the plan, I'm like, that, it's kind of like the algebra of that is great. Mm -hmm. I love the algebra of that. So is this inching the play toward a comedy? The, oh my gosh. I love this. you so much. You are so good. <laughs> you are so good that, am I supposed to withhold judgment now? Now I'm just kind of like, yeah, like stated what I think. I think this is the move toward settling the genre question. Uh-huh. Okay. And has the genre question been settled or is there a question for people? Is it one of those plays that sort of floats between? It is. Can you not tell me? Well, I can't tell you, but I think that this is the subject that our that we want to bring our special guest on okay. for. Okay. Yes. Cool. In Act Five, I mention it in Act One. Um, a woman that I know did her master's thesis. I hope I'm remembering this correctly on the question that you're posing, okay. and. I think her master's thesis, the, the thesis for me makes so much sense. I adhere to her argument before I ever heard her argument. And it wasn't, it was denied by her thesis advisor. Um, so we're going to bring cool. her on in act five to discuss this very question. Um, I want to, I want to, play a little bit of audio because we do get in this act a conversation at the end of the act between the Duke and Lucio. And it's a very, very funny bit of back and forth because, of course, the Duke is in disguise and Lucio, who's pretty pompous, you know, really full of himself. He's somebody who knows everything is having a conversation with the Duke and Lucio is telling the Duke everything about the Duke and the Duke's like, that's not true. And Lucio's like, what do you know? I know, you don't know. And the friar's like, I'm him, but he can't say it, can't say anything. At least for another two acts, he can't say anything. Right, and I love that we find out that the Duke is a little bit, thinks highly of himself as well. He's that's like, right, yeah, he does. <laughs> so I want to listen to this audio, the back and forth, keeping in mind listeners, that Lucio doesn't recognize that the Duke is the Duke. He just thinks he's this kind of mild-mannered friar. <laughs> uh, what news, friar, of the Duke? 
I know none. Can you tell me of any? Some say he's with the Emperor of Russia, other some he is in Rome, but where is he, think you? I know not where, but wheresoever, I wish him well. It was a mad, fantastical trick of him to steal from the state and usurp the beggary he was never born to. Lord Angelo dukes it well in his absence. He puts transgression to it. He does well in A little more lenity to lechery would do no harm in him. Something too crabbed that way, friar. It is too general a vice, and severity must cure it. Yes, in good sooth, the vice is of a great kindred. It is well allied, but it is impossible to extirp it quite, friar, till eating and drinking be put down. They say this Angelo was not made by man and woman after this downright way of creation. Is it true, think you? How should he be made, then? Some report a sea maid spawned him. <laughs> Some that he was begot between two stockfishes. <laughs> but it is certain that when he makes water, his urine is congealed ice. That I know to be true. And he's emotion generative. That's infallible. You are pleasant, sir, and speak apace. Why, what a ruthless thing is this in him, for the rebellion of a codpiece to take away the life of a man. Would the duke that is absent have done this? Oh, ere he would have hanged a man for the getting a hundred bastards, he would have paid for the nursing a thousand. He had some feeling of the sport. He knew the service, and that instructed him to mercy. I never heard the absent duke much detected for women. He was not inclined that way. <laughs> Sir, you are deceived. That was the duke, hidden as a friar, speaking to Lucio. The duke says... I've never heard the absent duke much detected for women. He was not inclined that way, Lucio. Oh, sir, you are deceived. It's a great little bit. It's really great. Um, so I didn't want to lose track of those two characters. They are on the sidebar, but they're going to become more prominent, especially Act 5. The duke is going to be really prominent. Galen, um, we are finishing Act 3 here. What do we look for? What are you looking for? in Act 4. Yes, I'm just looking to see if this plan goes off without a hitch. Yeah. Um, Surely we're going to meet... Mariana. Yeah. We've got to meet Mariana. And this is, yeah, the, the, the plot has been put in action by the Duke, and let's see if it can be pulled off without any twists or turns. We'll see. We'll see. Galen, thanks for joining me for Act Four, and it's been real. It's been really fun. I also want to give a little shout out to our producer of the show, Sophia Maeda Perrin, who is not just a great producer of the show; she's also our friend, and we're looking forward to seeing her at the baptism of our baby next month. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I think she's coming. We'll find out. I hope I haven't spoken too soon. Maybe, maybe Sophia's going to hear this and she's be like, what? I'm not going to any <laughs> baptism. We'll find out. We'll find out soon. Yeah. So thank you to Sophia. Sophia. Thank you for the Circe Institute for platforming us. And thank you so much for being a part of the show, listeners. And Galen, I'll see you at home. See ya. Mm-hmm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.